Welcome to the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we got a special episode on monkeypox, uh, COVID, all things in the medical community, things we need to know, update my brothers and sisters who are listening on. And today I got two of my Morehouse brothers on the show. What's going on, Burley and Italo? How y'all feeling, man? Doing man, good, I'm good, buddy. dog. I'm, I'm feeling great. Yeah, Thanks for having me. Man, I ain't seen, I ain't seen my brothers in a minute. I know we talk on on the social media all the time, but Ulysses, I'm very proud of all the work that you're doing, man. Tyler, I'm very always proud of the work that you're doing, man. And seeing just the uplift that y'all are giving to our community, it just inspires me to do more, man. So I'm happy to be here with y'all today. Thank you, man. Yeah. Likewise, we appreciate your your platform and the way you use it, man. Absolutely, doing the best I can, man. Doing the best I can. Like I said, you know, we got to grind because wives don't pay for themselves. Anyway, that's a whole that's a whole nother. <laughs> That's a whole nother show. You yeah, know, we start, each one of, trouble, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we start each one of our shows the same way, man. I want us, I want you to kind of just quickly walk us through the arc of your career. Uh, and so I want you to, each one of us, my Morehouse brothers, walk us through your career stops since you've left Morehouse and talk to me about what you're doing right now. Um, so since I left Morehouse, uh, I did medical school at Northwestern University. Um, somewhere in that process, I did a year in Buenos Aires, Argentina, where I was caring for people living with HIV. Um, that really set the trajectory for the rest of my professional career. Um, I did a stint with the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. I was the director of the HIV and AIDS strategy. Um, at a time, I was uh, one of Barack Obama's advisors uh, on HIV and AIDS. And now I have an organization called You Be The Cure, which operates at, at the intersection of faith, health and human rights. Uh, currently, I serve as the project director of the HIV Vaccine Trials Network Faith Initiative. And so a large part of my work is marrying the science and the sacred, because I believe that those two things are one and the same in many ways. What's up, fellas? I'm mostly talking about social emergency medicine, which is the intersection of essentially health disparities discussion, social and structural drivers as they uh, interface with the emergency healthcare system. And when I'm not doing that, I love community centered work. Uh, I'm also one of the chief advisors to Trap Medicine, which is a barbershop based health initiative founded by my brother, Jamil Lacey, uh, basically leverages the cultural capital of barbershops to affect the health and wellness of black men and boys. Man, look at that, man. Y'all some bad brothers. Let's jump right into it. Before we talk uh, about monkeypox and get too deep in COVID, let me just ask you a quick question on COVID. Is it over? Um, have we reached herd immunity yet with COVID? What are y'all seeing out there? We'll start with you, Dr. Brown. Uh, I mean, I still see cases. I would still say that it's not over. Uh, I think there was something released today that said we were essentially at a plateau point. Uh, what I think that has happened is that we've got enough people vaccinated. Uh, we also have enough resources uh, in terms of treatment regimen for those who uh, do test positive. And the strain that is currently, uh, I guess, that, that we see most commonly is not one of the more severe strains. But people who uh, are still, you know, have comorbidities tend to be admitted. Uh, and so I wouldn't say it's over. I still see patients who uh, we end up really concerned about their respiratory statuses. Uh, and again, there are still like health disparities in general around who gets access to treatment. So uh, that's going to always exacerbate some of the numbers that we see. 
Yeah, I agree with everything Dr. Brown said. Certainly not over. I think our usage of the term herd immunity early in the pandemic was misgiven, at least at the time, we didn't know that. Um, we probably should have framed it as population immunity instead of herd immunity. Um, and at the time we weren't. What does that mean? It's, it's really less about the entire country and more about reaching individual demographics of people who have been disproportionately impacted, right? And so there are some places in our country that have achieved herd immunity, but those also were likely the people who were never at greatest risk for COVID-19 severe uh, illness. And so population immunity really is more specific to the actual people who are more vulnerable to COVID-19 disease. And we've always known who those people were going to be uh, just from history around other uh, social determinants of health in our country. And so uh, we still have disparities in specific populations, people who look like us, people who are poor, uh, people who don't live in urban epicenters. Um, and age continues to be the number one risk factor for severe COVID-19 illness and disease. And so, uh, as Dr. Brown mentioned, um, there are new variants that are less severe, but more transmissible. And it's not quite clear the level of protection, the vaccines that we've received over the last two and a half years. You know, my family, we're actually taking, uh, we have three-year-olds, we're taking them to get their vaccine in two weeks. And my daughter is immunosuppressed, which is part of the delay. We just had to make sure that there were right. enough studies done with immunosuppressed hard organ uh, transplant recipients. And they turned out extremely well. But do, do the relatively low levels of children getting immune, immunized bother you? Or do you think the kids are relatively safe? I, I personally am not uh, bothered by it. I do think that it is uh, the story that's not being told are about the outcomes that the children are having, you know, so the more we have parents educated on, you know, how to make the decision, the more they have information at their hands is it's easier for them to negotiate that, uh, that particular decision point. And I think that it's important also to highlight, like, we've had various different policies, and some of them have changed back and forth. So that adds to the confusion for parents. Uh, what I see in the hospitals, especially around uh, adolescent populations are the vaccine Prove, it's proven safe. I see that they have a reduction in terms of severe illness and hospitalizations. But I also feel that uh, children who I've seen who did get uh, COVID were able to, I guess, they're, they're a little bit more resilient. Uh, and I think that that's part of their natural immune system and how it's developing and recognizing uh, these different pathogens. So uh, I, I think that it's a smart thing to do the uh, risk assessment with your children and also to stay as informed as possible as information is available. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles. 
because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. So let's move on to one of the main reasons we were here today. This show is, is deemed to be a special on monkeypox. And so I have the most scientific question that I could ask two of my smartest brothers that I know. And that is, uh, what the hell is monkeypox? And uh, that's first. And second, even more important question, particularly for the three of us, uh, will monkeypox cause us to cancel homecoming this year? You, you want to get at that? Yeah, certainly. So... <laughs> Monkeypox is uh, an orthopox virus, and it is a you can't mild. Say words. You can't say words like that. Say, what does that I'm, mean? <laughs> I'm, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. And so it's 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 a pox virus, and so um, um, it's it's a part of the the pox family of viruses. Not to be confused with chickenpox. Chickenpox was bad nomenclature, um, and so chickenpox and monkeypox. Uh, have nothing to do with each other, but I have really I, bad chicken pox. My legs were infected. I still got scars from chicken pox when I was like six. So we we'll talk about the, the similarities, same. but I think that what he's saying is is absolutely critical. They are not the same thing. Yeah, not the same thing. Not even the same class. But um, monkeypox is more similar to smallpox, uh, which we know, you know, since the 19th century, killed more than 300 million people. Uh, it was. It's still the only disease that we've eradicated in humans um, globally as of 1980. And that was a result of a highly effective global vaccine campaign. Smallpox was um, obviously the basis for the very first vaccine uh, that was ever created. Um, monkeypox is a milder, less severe, uh, rarely fatal version of smallpox, if you will. Uh, and it's something that was first discovered in 1958 in a colony of laboratory monkeys. Uh, it wasn't seen again in the human population until 1970 uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, and since then, monkeypox has largely been endemic. That means, um, you know, we're, we're relegated to Central and, and Western Africa. Uh, there have been small outbreaks of monkeypox outside of Africa, but they have always almost been attached to travel, international travel, or the exposure to an animal that was carrying monkeypox. Um, its name comes from how it was discovered, but we're still unclear as to what the host is of monkeypox. It's likely not a monkey. It's probably a right. rodent or like something a, a, a else. Rodent. Yeah. Um, so it's a zoonotic so, disease. So basically, you'd be to drill down on it. So the monkeypox has been around for a long time. It yeah. was just affecting black folk, and then when it moved to Europe, now we care. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't have any problem with that. Uh, with that assessment, uh, honestly. Um, that's and that's the case with a lot of um, endemic diseases and viruses uh, to places like Sub-Saharan Africa, right? 
Um, but I think it's it's a larger conversation around where we are now as a as a as a international community in the history of pandemics. And so we're moving into a time where we are going to see more pandemics, not less. And that's because of climate change. The earth is warmer than it's ever been. Warm climate is conducive to uh, virons and diseases. It's because of globalization. It's because of deforestation and the commingling of wild animals and people like never before. It's because of our ability to travel and move around. Um, And it's because of inequality, uh, right? Um, And so, yeah, it's something that's been with us. It's been with our brothers and sisters in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, uh, It it jumped outside of Africa (laughs) into Europe. And now the United States has um, the um, most cases in in, in the world. Uh, And here we are having this conversation. UB, real quick, I'm going to let you chime in with that. But one of the questions, I mean, uh, Tyler, I'll let you chime in with that. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, like, I know with with COVID, one of the concerns was that people might be asymptomatic and then it would spread to people and people wouldn't know. Is monkeypox like that? Or when someone has it, will we automatically know that they do because we can see it? So if you can answer that for us and then just if you had anything to add to UB, that'd be great. Oh, OK. So I think there's been a couple of cases that have been reported that are uh, asymptomatic. But for the most part, they have the same kind of manifestation. Like people will start to have uh, lesions that develop like a rash-like uh, lesions to the face or the hands. Uh, they call it maculopapular, which basically means like these little small patches, uh, isolated satellite lesions. And then eventually those turn into uh, pustules or have little vesicle formation. So these are very clear patterns that we understand. And most folks will have like the same spectrum of symptoms, but it doesn't mean that there will never be an asymptomatic case. I know that it's, again, the reports have been very few, but it is possible. Uh, And I think that the last thing I was going to say about this is the way that we recognize, I mean, there are other diseases that have very similar rashes. Like there are other STIs that are sexually transmitted infections that have rash appearances on the same locations. There are other pox viruses that have rash rash in the similar locations. And so we have to be very good at how we classify these things and see what the other features are. Like what's delineating one from the other? So the main characteristic here is like something we call lymphadenopathy, which is like where the lymph nodes, you know, when you get like a sore throat and then you fill the lymph node up here and it's really big. Well, those are different pockets around the body that carry those same lymph nodes. And when they swell, uh, they can be tender or painful or painless. That feature that, uh, basically separates what we call monkeypox from other types of uh, rash viruses or viral re- viral related xanthems or features like that. Is monkeypox an STI? I don't think no. that that's fair to say at all. Yeah, not based on yeah. what we know. But that yeah. doesn't mean that that won't change with more investigation. So as of right now, um, the, the guidance is close sexual contact, but that doesn't necessarily mean that monkeypox is transmitted via semen or sexual fluid. Majority of the those presenting with monkeypox uh, are same gender loving men, and they are presenting with rashes around their genitals and anorectally. Um, and there have been some studies that have identified monkeypox DNA in semen, 
but it's not conclusive enough to uh, to call it an STI. And so from what we know, and that's what we do in science, if we don't have enough information to say that this is definitively this, then it ain't that. And so from what we know, monkeypox is not an STD and an STI, and it shouldn't be classified as such until we have the information. Information. Can I add two pieces of that? One, I would say the Boy, real thing I'm, I'm is hard as hell. I'm over here just enamored. Go nah, ahead, bro. The, the, I, I mean, it's important to see y'all around campus drinking and stuff. I ain't never know y'all were gonna be this smart. <laughs> <laughs> Man, listen. the The main thing that I think that UB said that we gotta really emphasize is that this is something that helps to create stigma. Right. When you start to say there are certain populations that uh, are presenting with this particular disease and you add that it's sexually transmitted. And so the concern of men sleeping with men or whatever, however it wants to be qualified, is like once again re-triggered. And our thoughts around, you know, for example, when HIV first developed in AIDS, like we had the same way of stigmatizing those populations. So we have to be careful not to put that in that classification without just evidence. The second thing that I was going to say is it really is about the mechanism. Like these vesicles being unroofed and having the the material that's inside exposed that's not an ex exactly how sexually transmitted infections work there are a bunch of other types of infections that are not sexually transmitted that do the exact same thing so we have to continue to kind of debunk these myths in the same process is it airborne or can it be transmitted airborne i think it can be respiratory transmitted uh, right now, the CDC, I know, is saying take all precautions, but it, again, has not been proven to be just like a respiratory virus as well. Yeah. So uh, what are some of the myths around monkeypox? And we just debunked one of them that, that you know, it was only that that I felt like we were having a conversation that was meant in like 1980 when it was a, you know, a gay disease or whatever it may be. I mean, people are just so ignorant in their nomenclature. Uh, but what are some of the myths around monkeypox so that people can stop the crazy shit now? Because I remember the 5G conspiracy theories about COVID. What do people get wrong about monkeypox for what you've seen, read, and heard? UB? Yeah, I think that it's an STI. It's not. We debunked that. But also that only men who have sex with men or same-gender-loving men are vulnerable. Um, the epidemiology says that 98% of monkeypox cases have been among same gender loving men. 41% of them are people living with HIV uh, and 63% of them are black and brown people. But we are also seeing cases among children and adolescents. And um, that's probably largely just around the underdevelopment of, of, of the immune system of, of young people. Um, but everybody is vulnerable. Um, and I think when we start to classify it as a disease that is associated with gay people or gay sex, then we let our guard down um, and we end up not taking the precautions that we can take to protect ourselves. And so um, it is definitely not an STI from what we know. It is a disease that anybody can get who is in close contact with somebody who has monkeypox or has been exposed to mon monkeypox. It is not lab created. It is zoonotic meaning that is, it, is, it is a disease that was transferred at some point from an animal to the human population. Um, and it's not novel or new. Um, we have a vaccine or vaccines, at least that we believe um, generate some level of immune response to the, the monkeypox virus, I won't go as far as to say that it prevents monkeypox because we don't have that, that data. The vaccines that are available to us were vaccines that were created for smallpox. Um, 
And as of right now, we're dealing with another issue around access and who gets the vaccines or who should get the vaccines. And so, um, you know, that's that something that we're going to have to continue to, 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 to really lobby our government around. Now, th- I was going to add that there's a, uh, a essentially one of the biggest myths is that if you're vaccinated against chickenpox, then <laughs> you should effectively have immunity against monkeypox. I haven't heard that one, but I'm glad you brought it up. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've heard a bunch of people say that. They're like, yeah, you know, I had the chickenpox vaccine. I was like, first of all, it's not the same organism. Second of all, it doesn't work the same way. And the best protection that we have is, like you said, something that was developed, not even for monkeypox, but specifically for smallpox. So I think that people need to understand that. And, And I think that the other part is, like, there's a belief that there is uh, a lack of severe cases. Like people are like, oh, it's just a rash and it's like chicken pox and then it goes away and you'll be fine. I'm like, yeah, well, there are a lot of people who are having really bad complications from this. And, and that's something that gets swept under the rug. It's like, really you, know, you get the fevers, you get the pain because these really are painful. lesions, right? Yeah. And these lesions last for not just like a couple of days. In your throat, people can't eat because of the lesions in their throat and, and things. Everything that you're saying is what doesn't get amplified enough about why it's it has severe illness, right? Uh, sepsis, like people get these, they get super infected. Like, so these lesions can essentially turn into larger infections that's, that that cause a person to have different uh, instability in terms of their like bodily dynamics. Uh, And I think the other part is the heart muscle, right? So the heart itself can develop uh, a viral infection and then it leads to someone having very bad cardiac outcomes. So those are the things that I keep in mind. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. How can we not, and this is not a science, I mean, it's not a scientific question, but it's a very important question. How can we not get monkeypox? What are some of the precautions people should take? You know, really, a lot of the precautions that we ask people to take for COVID-19 are good precautions to also prevent against uh, monkeypox, making sure you are washing your hands consistently, um, you know, making sure you're sanitizing um, areas. Um, You know, as of right now, it's close physical contact. And so not being in close physical t- contact with people who uh, know that they have monkeypox. Um, 
bedding, clothes, uh, towels, not sharing those types of things, not eating after people, sharing utensils, um, sharing drinks with uh, strangers. Um, but then also there's, you know, some wisdom around minimizing your sexual context. Um, Which brings us so, to homecoming. <laughs> right. And <laughs> so back to homecoming. Don't be laying down with folks who, who, who you just met or who, or who you don't know. Uh, or, or, or who so you what you be is saying is you, you can go get that old thing back at homecoming because you know them. That's because you knew it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I hear you. I, I'm adding, uh, I think that we're just recommending to use like, you know, protection and actually have these conversations as well. You know, if someone is having a rash and has some symptoms, like really trying to probe and see like, hey, talk about it with a partner. You know, do we have an action plan around this? Uh, and then I think that the the thing that I've been recommending when I see people in the hospital, because the number of people who are coming in with concerns of their rashes or suspicious rashes has increased simply because of the optics on uh, monkeypox. And so when you have the conversation, it's like, listen, like, I want you to think about all the other things that you also are putting yourself at risk uh, for as well. And so now if you start to change those behaviors, you can protect against those things, which are a lot more common, as well as something like monkeypox. Last question for you guys. And this is, you know, a write up both of you all's alley because of the advocacy you can do. Just quick last last thoughts. How should policymakers at all levels of government be responding to monkeypox? Um, for example, if our brother Randall Wolf and the mayor of Birmingham called y'all and asked what he should be doing, what would you tell him? I think I would begin with language. And so language justice is a thing. Language matters. Um, monkeypox in and of itself can be stigmatizing because of the the the, the groups of people that are it's being impacted. Um, and so when we can, let's minimize it to mpox or MPX or MPV is what the, the, the government is classifying it as. And so just in your language and the way in which we talk about it, um, I would I would advise him to to to, to be mindful of his his language. Um, you know, I would also say to uh, make sure that the stockpiles of vaccine that have been sent to Alabama on a state level um, are prioritized based on the science, the epidemiology. And so the people who are being disproportionately impacted, same gender loving men, uh, but also healthcare providers uh, who have to uh, be in contact uh, with people who present with what could potentially be monkeypox uh, and to make sure that those vaccines are equitably distributed and that people know where they can go to get it and that it is at no cost. Super important. Uh, I'd also add that there's got to be a little bit of housekeeping around when we say things like uh, making something a, 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 an emergency or public health crisis. Like the message that people get is this is as bad, as severe uh, as COVID. And they go back into the, the old think of, all right, now everything has to be locked down. I think that we just have to do better education around that. What it is, is releasing resources, being able to say, all right, now we can divert funds to having these vaccine doses available uh, and we can at least contribute to better research uh, around what specifically specifically works for uh, monkeypox. The other thing that I would recommend is I think that you have to start to do more prioritization of uh, 
pregnant women and children because pregnant women are not often thought of as a at-risk population and they are and not because they have some of the same medical illnesses but because again they're in a vulnerable state so really understanding how that could affect uh, a pregnant woman and how children are affected by this and trying to front load in terms of resources for those communities as well oh my goodness fellas this is a wealth of information this show is going to do really well and and please tell people how they can follow you both yeah, you can reach me at Facebook on uh, at Ulysses the Third, U-L-Y-S-S-E-S-I-I-I, or at UB the Cure. You can reach me at Instagram at UB the Cure and at Twitter at Ulysses Burley, U-L-Y-S-S-E-S-B-U-R-L-E-Y, or at www.ubthecure.com. There you go. And Dr. Brown is available at Great Vision, GR number eight vision on all platforms. Uh, drop me a line. I don't provide medical advice, but I do. I will help you navigate your homecoming issues. <laughs> <laughs> Fellas, I love you both. I'm very proud of you all. And I can't wait to be lobbying somebody's White House to make one of you all Surgeon General of the United States of America, walking in the footsteps of the Honorable David Satcher, another Morehouse graduate. So my brothers, thank you. God bless you. And this was a great show today. Y'all be out. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you.